Today's reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is God's word. I've asked this question at the top of your sheets, if you have a, have a look down at that. Um, it should be on the back of your service sheets. It's a question, do we need a better longing? Do we need a better longing? Uh, if you'd asked me in December what my longing was, at that point in time, it would have been quite simply to make it to the Christmas holidays and put my feet up. Now, I've got three small ones, um, and I know that travel and meetups with extended family are never restful. Um, so that was always a ridiculous notion, wasn't it? Um, that I would get rest and put my feet up. But nonetheless, rest was a th- my longing. It was a thing that I was dangling in front of my nose uh, to pull me through. And maybe it still is. Um, what is your longing? What has your longing been this last month? What is your longing now as you enter a new year? What do you long for? If you're like me, you're starting out into this new year feeling a little bleary and jaded. Getting through is the default motivation, isn't it? It's what we kind of do. Just think, if I can just get through... But what do we need then? We need a richer longing for our lives. We need one that comes from God and from his gospel. We need that kind of longing. And if you look at Romans 1, Paul tells us what he is longing for in verse 11. If you look down with me, he says this, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I long to see you. In essence, Paul longs to be an encouragement to other believers, 
and to himself be encouraged by them. He wants to go to them that he might preach the gospel to them and to reap a harvest among them. If you look down at verse 13, it says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So that is what Paul is so eager to do, to, to preach the gospel to them and to reap a harvest among them. And he is eager because of what the gospel is and what the gospel can do. Now, in one sense, it's going to take the whole of the letter to the Romans for Paul to unpack that. And we don't have time for that tonight. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, but in verses 16 and 17, Paul gives us his preview and a summary of what he's going to say. Um, and they're the verses that we just read. So let's read them now. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So you can see from your service sheets that I've got four points. No? Okay, don't worry. There's actually three four points. Um, they're there on uh, your sheets. Uh, the first one is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, if that can come up on the screen. Um, have we got anything on the screen? Great. The first thing that Paul wants us to get clear is that the gospel is about God's son, Jesus. That's why I asked for us to read that first bit of the letter. Because it tells you what his gospel is. He's upfront about it. He says, this is, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that I'm talking about when I say I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, um, and it's probably no surprise to anyone here, because this is a Bible teaching church, that the gospel is about Jesus. But it is just worth seeing what is said about Jesus in these verses. So if you look down at verse uh, 1, Jesus is the Christ... In verse 1. Uh, in verse 3, Jesus is the Son of God. And in verse 4, he was proven, appointed to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And lastly, what that means at the close of verse 4 is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice how the focus of God's gospel is on who Jesus is. Now, the grace that we receive through him is there, found in verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. But it is only ever in relation to who Jesus is. And this is important because we're going to see that God's gospel is the power to save people. And so if we want people to be saved, we need to pass on the right gospel. We need to pass on this gospel. We need to say who Jesus is. We need to say that he is the Christ, the one that scripture's foretold, 
to be the one who would come and to die on the cross. We need to say that he is the son of God, that he was appointed the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. As I was reflecting on this and this talk, I, I, I also had to reflect on the recent evangelistic talk I'd given. And it challenged me to realise that actually what I presented was the gospel as a kind of quick fix. There's a problem. Here's a problem. God points out the problem. He, he shows us a solution. And the solution is Jesus. And the problem was, the, the problem was front and centre, but Jesus wasn't front and centre. Who Jesus is wasn't front and centre. And I guess the reason I'd done that was because um, I wanted to make the, the gospel only a comforting message, not really a conflicting or a confronting one. I thought I'd just tell people the good news, right? And the other bit somehow is bad news. It's not. But I did, I did half a job. The sad irony is that Jesus can only rescue because of who he is. He can rescue because he is the son of God. Because he is the Christ. He has that authority. And so he can use that authority in order to save. But it's just worth thinking about, isn't it? Is our gospel Jesus-centred or is it kind of man-centred? And um, there's some really helpful stuff written on this. Um, so if you want to have some thinking on this, um, and it's, it can be helpful to hear other people. Um, Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice is a really, really good way of, and chapter five talks about um, what he would say about Jesus. The mission, uh, the identity of Jesus, the mission, and the call of Jesus. Um, if you, we've just enjoyed as a church um, the next one, which is um, the Passion for Life. Is come, mission is coming up in uh, Easter. And they put together some great resources, which is this one's helping people become Christians. And it, it presents that. It says, you know, we need to tell people that Jesus is Lord. And that's good news. Not just that he's saviour. Um, so uh, I can commend those two to you. But the gospel is a message about Jesus. It's Jesus-centred. It's the message. The gospel in verse 3, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. He's not ashamed to tell people that Jesus, that that's who Jesus is because it's true. Um, next thing, uh, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel about, because it is about who Jesus is for, next point, it is the power of God to save. We've spoken about what this gospel message is. It is about who Jesus is. And now Paul says why he is not ashamed of this gospel. And the first reason he gives is because it's effective to save people. It's powerful. So the gospel isn't just words. It's words and power. Paul often does this in his writings. He says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, um, the gospel came to you not with just mere words, but with power. He contrasts words with power. So actually the gospel is dynamite. It's powerful. It is God's power. And that is infinite. So it's a message, it's words, but it's also power. 
It can do stuff. It can save. Um, this is a bit of a geeky illustration, right? My, my nephew, Samuel, turned eight yesterday, and he's fairly typical of an eight-year-old boy. He loves Minecraft. This, uh, sorry, I didn't get the picture of his birthday cake, but it was, like, literally stacked up things. Um, if you don't know what Minecraft is, don't worry. But over Christmas, when I visited, Samuel wanted to show me how to play Minecraft. I'll spare you, the non-gamers, the details, because you'll get bored. There's two modes, create and get the gaming mode. And in create mode, you can build anything you want. There's no restrictions. And one of the non-restrictions thing is you can build a tiny little bit of track, you can put a cart, and you can put infinite numbers of TNT carts on that tiny little stretch of track. And then you can blow it up. So that's what my nephew wanted to show me. He wanted to show me like a, how he can make a crater in the Minecraft world, right? So that's infinite power. That's the only thing I have to describe to you what infinite power looks like. <laughs> yes, it's virtual power, and yes, used destructively, but it is. Surely you could put an infinite number of minecarts on the same bit of track and then blow it up. That's infinite power. Now, we know that with God, all things are possible, don't we? He is infinitely powerful. And he is the one behind his gospel. Yes, words. Yes, a message. But power to save. His power is not harnessed destructively in the gospel, but for our good. His power is not virtual. It's real. As Christians, we will be tempted to look for that power in other places. We're so tempted to look for that power elsewhere. I was thinking about this. Uh, we have a, a message, right? In a world, Phil said it at the start, where there's just information overload, barraging people. We think a couple of words about Jesus, this odd name that people they say is a curse, don't they? But we've got words. And that's all we've got for this marketplace of all words, you know, entertainment. Surely that's not going to be effective. That's what we think, isn't it? Post on Instagram. It's just a drop in the ocean. But it is God's infinite power to save. This is a message about who Jesus is, and it is the power to save. How does it save? How does this gospel save? It's the power of God to save everyone who believes for, and this is the third one, it reveals a righteousness that is received by faith. Uh, we see that down in uh, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness is really the word that dominates how Paul describes the gospel in his letter. He talks about the fact that we're all unrighteous, that God's holy law shows us that we're unrighteous, that we don't keep his law. This righteousness of God in this verse is not so much a description of God saying he is righteous, although that is absolutely true. 
He's saying the righteousness from God, of God, that comes from him. If ever there was someone who was steeped in the law, it was Paul. In his former life, he knew the law inside and out. He had devoted himself to trying to meet its holy demands. And yet the law itself had no power to change him. All it could reveal was his heart. And he was a a self-righteous and angry, murderous man. That's what it revealed about him. So how can an unrighteous man be made righteous? How can an unrighteous man be made righteous? Um, I, I heard a, a little bit of the talk that Scott gave to you from Philippians 3. That might be the morning service. But um, in that, Paul says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul had heard about a righteousness that could be given to him that was not his own. He knew he was unrighteous. The law showed him that. And yet he heard about a righteousness that could be his through faith, Christ's righteousness. Um, Let's see this elsewhere uh, in Romans. So if you want to flick over the page to Romans 3 verse 20. We won't read all the way down from verse 10, where it says there is no one righteous, but we'll just read verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You want to flick over the uh, on the same page? Sorry, uh, look over to verse uh, chapter four, verse three. Paul's explaining a bit more about this righteousness that he's discovered. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteous righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. He says this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Having this righteousness is so much more than having our debts cancelled. It's having Christ's Perfect, law-keeping life given to us. It's not just wiping the slate clean because then it would be up to us, wouldn't it, to, to get on with it and to try again and fail. But we're given Christ's righteousness. We're seen as he is. Does anyone here bank uh, with Santander? That might seem a bit of a random question. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask for your bank details. Um, but on Christmas Day, just gone, £130 million was deposited into people's accounts in Santander, but, but mistakenly. It was a repeat transaction. People got double wages um, in 75,000 accounts. Now, that is 
That's extraordinary, isn't it? You didn't put your hand up about um, admitting that you've got 130 million in your account. I'm sure those people were pretty excited about that. Don't you think? I'm sure there was a text or something that went from one person to another saying, you know what? I've got all this money and it's not mine. <laughs> maybe the, sp- the Christmas presents were amazing that year. Um, or maybe they just kept it all to themselves. People were pretty excited. It was credited to them. It was not theirs. They didn't deserve it. And it was given to them. And in the gospel, Christ's righteousness is given to the unrighteous. Do you get that? It's credited to them. You are righteous if, you have, if, if Christ is your Lord. That's how God sees you. Faith uh, is the way that that is received, but it's not really our work, is it? Because it's God who causes people to hear and it's God who causes them to believe what they hear. It's all from God. But at the exact moment they believe, they are declared righteous. Now that is unbelievably good news, isn't it? The gospel is a message. It's It's a power to save. And yet it's a good power, isn't it? It's not that destructive power. It is unbelievably good news to share with people. Um, I just want to spend the last little bit looking and answering the question, what does being unashamed look like? What does being unashamed of this gospel look like for us, for you and for me? And the first time I looked at this, I thought I was going to say that from Paul's example, being unashamed means being intentional about speaking about Jesus. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. That is there. But if you backtrack a little bit to verse 10, we find something else. Paul says, in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So what does it mean to be unashamed of the gospel? Well, it means to pray that the door may be open for us to share the gospel. That's what Paul was praying for. Paul is intentional about speaking about Jesus. He is often intended to come to them. That's what he says. But not being ashamed of the gospel plays out in what we ask God for. And the question is, are we going to ask him to open the door for the gospel, to make a way for us to share the gospel? Because that's the first thing we need to do, isn't it? If God gives us that opportunity, he'll give us, the spirit will speak through us the words of the gospel and give us the courage that we need. But will we ask God to open a way for us to share the gospel this week? Will we ask God to open a way for us to share the gospel with the people that we sit next to at work? Maybe you're not in the workplace, but the people that you speak to. 
where we ask God to open a way in our universities for us to share the gospel. That the door would remain open for the gospel because everything else is saying it's going to shut. Would you ask God to open a way for you to share the gospel with a family member? Would you pray for me that I would share the gospel with my sister, my oldest sister, on Friday? Let's pray that God would open a door for the gospel, that he would make a way for us to be in the place, to be in that conversation where we can share the gospel with someone. And friends, let me just encourage you with that as a first thing. You, may, you can look at those resources and think, okay, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to, I just don't know what I'm going to say. But let's pray for God to open the door. We have a message. It's a power to save. It's the power to save. It's God's power to save and it reveals a righteousness it imparts righteousness a righteousness that we don't have and that we desperately need let's pray Father God thank you that you have revealed who your son is through the ages, through um, all of your ways of doing that, the prophets, thank you that you that he came and that it was obvious that he was the fulfilment of all those promises. And thank you that you have declared him to be your son, that you have raised him to life, that death was not the end. And uh, thank you that he is the one that we can point people to that knowing him is the one who will change everything. And we do pray that you, would, uh, work, that you would work in our hearts even now, that we would uh, long to, to ask you to open the door, that we might be able to share the gospel. And Lord, would you help us to see that it is your power to save, that through it you have saved Paul, the man who had blood on his hands, who had killed Christians. The, the, the gospel that has saved us, wretched as we are, we, we pray that we would hold out the hope of the gospel uh, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our family. And we pray that you would open the door for us to share it, we pray. Amen.